of the Lord with you today. This is a very special day. And Pastor Kent and Sister Jenny, I can assure you, for years and years to come, you'll be written about and you'll be talked about for the legacy that you've left us. I, too, want to say how much I love our pastors and how that is an honor to be able to speak on this special day. He's a lot of the reason why I'm even standing in here today, because he believed in me, as he's believed in you. He's the real deal. What you see is what you get. And actually, I believe that God sent me to him. Every year that we honor him during pastor appreciation, I think back to when I first got saved, and after getting saved, I began to pray. I said, Lord, I've got to find a church. And God, I believe it'll be the hardest thing I do. I've heard so much about the church. And I began to give my list to God. I want to go somewhere where the spirit is real. I want to go somewhere where the man of God is real. I want to go somewhere where he believes and preaches what he reads. And the day that I walked into Ninth and Cedar, sitting in my chair, when service began, and this man of God came forth and began to speak, my spirit, spirit bared witness that I was in the place I needed to be, and God said, this is where you will be. So you've been an answer to my prayer. Our relationship has been not like that of David and Jonathan. David loved Jonathan, and Jonathan loved, loved David, and they both had something to offer each other. It has a heart as big as Texas. We're family. I love his boys like my own. Come August, I've been in this church 23 years. I've been on staff as his associate for 20 years. It seems like yesterday, I had black hair, and he was as skinny as Fred Astaire. <laughs> now, I might be stretching that a little bit. I just used him because it rhymed. Young people going like, who is Fred Astaire? <laughs> well, I could tell you a lot of stories, too, about him. I'm just going to share one quickly about him and Jenny. I'll share the story about the day that, like John said, Jenny would always lay out his clothes, but this day she'd failed to lay out a tie. And the pastor was looking in the closet trying to find a tie that would match his suit. But while he was looking, he found this small box in the very back of the closet he'd never seen before. He told me that when he opened it, he found that it contained three eggs and 100 $1 bills. He told me he hollered for Jenny to come there and that when she came in the room, he asked her, do you know anything about this box? And Jenny, being embarrassed and surprised he found it, she finally admitted she'd been hiding it in the closet for 30 years. And the pastor asked her, well, what's this all about? Jenny reluctantly said, I'm sorry, Kent. I would have told you about it, but I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Then the pastor asked her, well, how could three eggs and $100 in a box hurt my feelings? And she began to explain to him, well, I just wanted to try to come up with a creative way to save some money for us. So I decided that every time you preached a bad sermon, I'd put an egg in the box. The pastor thought, well, 30 years of preaching, only three eggs in the box, that's not too bad. He says, Jenny, I get it about the eggs, but what are the $101 bills about? Jenny said, well, 
Each time I collected a dozen eggs for your bad sermons, I sold them to our neighbor for a dollar. Now, I could tell you many more stories, but I'm going to honor him by preaching the word. He loves the word. He eats, breathes the word. We spent a lot of time together. We prayed together. We've cried together, and we battled together. And today, I want to share the word of God with you. And I'm going to set this up by giving the title. I've titled today, It's Time for Another Showdown. Now, before I get started... I want to liven things back up just a little bit, if you would. If you would, stand to your feet. If you would, raise your hands up in the air. Now give God a big old wave offering this morning. Amen? All right. Let's worship him. Now put your hands together. On the count of three, we're going to shout hallelujah. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, yeah. All right, that's pretty good. We'll do it one more time, okay? One, two, three. Oh, and everybody run to the altar and repent. <laughs> kind of lost you there, didn't I? You may be seated. You know, I'm not really surprised by your response there. That lack of response was to be expected. Us preachers are sadly seeing that more and more. That people will come to church and you can get them to stand up. You can get them to lift their hands and to worship and even get them to clapping their hands and shouting but too often, that's as far as they want to go. Seems that we can lead them to everything but going to the altar. Is that important? Yes. It's the most important part of the service. Why? Because God has places that he designates as meeting places. And the word of God is full of references to the importance of the altar. It was where sacrifices were made. It's where healings took place. Repentance was found. Where prayers were prayed. Where it was described as holy ground. Where hearts were surrendered. A place where God's love was administered. The altar is a designated meeting place with God. And I can tell you now, still throughout all of the mankind, nothing has changed about God's desire to meet at an altar with his people. It's a place where you can have a personal encounter with God. And the wood or the stone service that you kneel on or dance before serves as a marker of the place where you encountered God. I can point to times and places as far back as Ninth and Cedar. And I can take you to where there and I can recall, here's where God did this and here's where God said that. And I can take you to the spot in the woods behind my house where I have made an altar and I can share with you moments I've had with God and so can many of you. Often throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, God would require altars to be built for sacrifices to be made upon them. He would even at times designate the location. He would often designate prophets where to build one at times. 
In the Old Testament, they were often used to make sacrifices on burnt offerings. But after the new covenant where bulls and bullocks were no longer needed to offer sacrifices to the Lord, then the altar simply became a place where we kneel at and we meet with God to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. A place where we have a personal encounter with God. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. He offered his body to be crucified and his blood to pay for the sins of the world. And once the veil was rented to, we can now come before the throne room of God and anywhere we can create a place to meet with God, he's there because he's omnipresent. Whether it's in your house, whether it's in the woods, whether it's in a boat, you can kneel down anywhere and whatever place you choose can turn into an altar in the presence of God. These steps here can be your altar. At this place here, many have had a personal encounters with God. God is a personable God. This is a place that has been dedicated to the Lord as a meeting place. Yet all too often, it's the least visited place in the church. Oh, don't shut me down just yet. God has chosen this place as a meeting place. Miracles have happened at this place. Forgiveness has been found at this place. Deliverance has been found at this place. Refreshing has come at this place. Healing has taken place at this place. And I've come to tell you before this day is over, this place is going to be a meeting place once again with God. If you're willing to meet with God. There's places you choose to meet with God, and there's places God chooses to meet with you. Hopefully before this sermon is over, we'll have a better understanding of the importance of this altar. And how important it is to build back the altars. I want to talk to you about an altar experience in the days of Elijah and how significant and necessary it was. I want you to show you how instrumental it was to spiritual warfare, to turning a nation around. Where when it took place, it was so comprehensible to today that it assures me it's time for America to have an altar experience once again. Now, let me show you what God's shown me. That altar experience is found in Kings chapter 17. It was the result of a showdown between good and evil. And it was settled at an altar. Come on, somebody. By building an altar and through the power of prayer, God, through this man's faith, turned a nation back to God. Church, I'm here to tell you we're at that place again. There is a showdown between good and evil in our land. Through your eyes, you see it as a natural violation of humanity. But if you'll look through your spiritual eyes, you will see it's evil proceeding to kill, steal, and destroy humanity. Now let's look to Webster's meaning of this word, showdown. Showdown. A decisive confrontation. In other words, it's a place of settlement. It's a place of resolve. There's no better place to have a showdown than at an altar. A showdown as a nation is what we're facing. This confrontation to the natural man appears as physical. But to those who are keen to the spirit, you realize this is a spiritual, decisive confrontation. It's not the first time that the enemy has tried to overthrow the kingdom of God. But I came to tell you today to fear not, for it won't be the last time that God overthrows your enemy. That he will cancel the enemy's assignment. That what the enemy meant for bad, God's going to turn it into our good. I know it looks bleak. 
I know our foundations are crumbling. I know that in these last days, God said that perilous times would come. We preached it. We prophesied it about it. No longer one of these days. It's today. And the answer to it is, it's time to have an altar experience like Elijah did upon this mountain at 1400 Herschel Best Boulevard in Popper Bluff, Missouri, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. We quote this scripture a lot because it's more relevant today to the, to the unmasking of the enemy's plot, which is no different today than it was in Elijah's day. Let's look at what led up to the showdown in Elijah's days. You can start by going to 1 Kings chapter 16, and you can read where king after king of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Each one practiced idol worship and immorality. It's obvious of what led to the showdown of God versus idolatry of a nation. Not just any nation, but Israel, God's chosen people. The pinnacle comes in chapter 16, 33. Listen to this statement. And Ahab did more, say more. more. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the other kings before him. See, there were some bad kings before him, but King Ahab took it to the extreme. And we got a group in our nation now called the leftist that want to take what has already been bad to the extreme. They're no longer the left. They're now recognized as the extreme left, meaning they're worse than the ones before them. Now let's look at the confrontation of the nation that existed in 1 Kings chapter 17 during the reign of King Ahab. The nation of Israel's under Ahab's leadership and they've committed spiritual adultery against God. Now, let me requote that, but this time I want to quote it with relevancy. The nation of America has committed spiritual adultery against God. Just like Israel did by choosing to worship other gods, which has resulted in ritualistic prostitution of the gospel and idolatry. This idolatry was being spearheaded by Israel's own king, Ahab, who had chosen to marry the evil Jezebel. His wife Jezebel possessed a spirit that opposed spiritual authority. She held a strong influence over the king and the nation of Israel, just like the spiritual weakness in high places is influencing the leadership of our nation. Under King Ahab's leadership, driven by Jezebel's influence, Israel had been deeply corrupted by pagan worship. So deep that there actually weren't many people who were still loyal to the one true God Jehovah at that time. Do you know it's recorded that 10 million Israelites left the worship of God for the false god of Baal and Ashtoreth? According to scripture, only 7,000 people in the entire nation were not swayed by her control. And God made this statement in 1 Kings 19 and 18. He said, there are 7,000 who've not bowed down to Baal, and he was speaking to Elijah. Now let me interject briefly. Church, the spirit of Jezebel, that spirit that led Jezebel to bring the nation of Israel to its knees is upon America. Although it's gender neutral, because of its strong association with Jezebel, it was named after her. We've preached about that spirit many times, and I'm not going to stay here very long, but I do want to just take a moment to remind you that a Jezebel spirit seeks control through manipulation. It has a deep hatred of spiritual authority, 
Matter of fact, you better start praying for me right about now because it doesn't like me right now. It seduces using sensuality and flattery. It seeks total control. It wants to dominate. And its main desire is for power. And here's how it operates. It uses emotional pressure to persuade you. Anybody felt any emotional pressure by what's going on in our country lately? It uses witchcraft. It's rebellious. Rebellion is a form of witchcraft. Anybody seen any acts of rebellion lately? It uses obsessive sensuality in its pursuit of power. It uses subtle persuasion to gain influence. And get this, it has to get close to those in control. So hear me on this one. Those of you in any kind of authority, leadership positions, if you're an owner, a manager, a department leader, a crew leader, a ministry director, a in a political office, a CEO, a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, a teacher, a prophet, you are definitely a target. Millions have fallen from leadership roles because of this spirit. And more sadly, millions have fallen from grace because of it. It uses subtle persuasion to gain influence and to get close to those in control or authority. And then uses this position to gradually dominate, to overpower you. If you'll remember, it was the same spirit on Delilah that proved effective in bringing Samson down. It was the same spirit that caused David to be drawn to Bathsheba. It's the same spirit that caused a scandal in our White House, the highest authority of our nation. And the same spirit that every one of us has been lured by at some time in our life, whether past, present, or future experience to come. My God, this is so serious. If you will hear the word of the Lord, this could save your marriage, save your career, save your ministry, our nation, your life, and even your eternal life. All you men and women that are being flattered, it's a setup. They're making you believe you're all that. But they really don't want you. They want what you got. In the beginning, they make you believe you're in control. But once you take the bait, they'll control you. This is a word for somebody today. Shut it down. Right. See, in the Hebrew, the name Jezebel means literally without cohabitation. In other words, it means she will not live or cohabit with those she cannot dominate and control. She won't share power. When he or she finds out he can't control you or dominate, he or she will be gone. The spirit of Jezebel's greatest enemy is true spiritual authority. That's why Jezebel opposed Elijah and Herodias opposed John the Baptist. So too, still today, the spirit opposes righteous authority. It despises all moral authority. It hates the church. She's had her way out of the church and sad but truthfully, too many times she's had her way in the church. Jezebel has cleverly manipulated and positioned herself behind seats of power, behind lawmakers, and continues to control this travesty. She's in power behind the rebirth of witchcraft in our culture. That's the spirit that's behind those who are coming after the church. I prophesied to you that they would be coming after the church just as soon as they come to the knowledge that evil can't win a presidential election because the church still prays and votes its moral conscience. We still have a voice. And it wasn't three weeks later after I said that that I heard it for myself. The left publicly said it was the church that was responsible for the election of our president whom God has used to disrupt their agenda. And ever since that day, the church has come under attack like never before. Preachers are being arrested. Religious freedom is under assault. You know, I was disappointed to hear a statement recently. Someone said, I always wondered what it would take to shut the churches down. 
Now I know. All you got to do is ask them to. I don't know about you, but that offended me. I'm telling you, God will not be mocked. See, it's unbelievable that the unprecedented voluntary efforts of men and women and children willing to participate in the practice of witchcraft. Folks, it's not as innocent as Hollywood's Harry Potter makes it. Wake up. That movie is just another subtle way to promote it. We won't know the fallout of the influence immediately, but in years to come we will. It was just another subtle way to desensitize our society to the occult. Trying to actually make kids think witchcraft is fun. It's more than just a good storybook, more than a box office hit. Remember, she's subtle. She's so smart. Introduces to the children are so vulnerable. I say wait till they grow up, and then we'll see what kind of condition we are in morally as a nation. Now, I know I'm going to get criticized for, for this, but I'm not asleep. I'm wide awake, and I'm trying to obey the Spirit of the Lord. It's real, folks. And people are being drawn into it by the thousands, being manipulated, controlled by the Spirit to return to do the most unthinkable acts against human lives, suicides and school shootings and spousal killings and killing of their children, church shootings on the rise. Remember, she hates spiritual authority. She wants control. It's spiritual wickedness. That's why the Scripture says in high places, the Spirit wants to control and have power. Remember, it likes to hang around those in authority. It's the force behind the psychic hotlines, the 900 numbers, the pornography industry, which controls and manipulates millions. And it's not declining, it's growing daily. And we as Christians have a responsibility to fight this war. Elijah, a man of God, accepted the responsibility. How? He understood that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. And what is our most powerful weapon? It's prayer. And whether we like to do it or not, we better get down on our knees and bombard heaven with effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man that availeth much. For God will hear our cry and God will avenge us. Quit believing the lies that there's nothing we can do about it. We can pray. So as punishment for those sinful practices that led to a spiritual famine, upon Elijah's praying for his nation, God sent Elijah to tell the king Ahab that God was going to withhold rain from their land for an period of time over Israel. Why withhold the rain? Because it was their belief in the idol god of Baal that caused a spiritual famine to come in Israel. Many were convinced to serve the idol god called Baal. Baal was known as the god of sensuality and rain. And God was fixing to show them who the real god of the rain was. God shows them a famine as a representation of what was really taking place spiritually in their lives. So you could say a spiritual famine had caused God to shut up the physical rain, just as they had shut up the spiritual rain with their sinful lifestyles. And God's not going to bless sin. Our God is a jealous God. He's long-suffering, but there comes a day when he says, enough is enough. And I believe he has said, America, enough is enough. 
I have prospered you, and you have in return forgot me, and you have built other gods before me. Everything that exalted itself above God, folks, is idolatry. For too long as a nation, we've turned our backs on God. We've allowed materialism to become our God. We've made athletes and movie stars and power and wealth and greed our gods. We've exploited sex and immorality as something glamorous, all driven by the seducing spirits of idolatry. He sent Elijah, his chosen servant, to declare God's actions. Elijah, a man of God who loved, served, and trusted God, who was indignant towards Israel's mass endorsement of sin. So he prayed that God would intervene and deliver his perfect form of judgment. I say thanks be unto God. There's still a remnant in this land who, like Elijah, are indignant to America's sin and have been praying for God to intervene. God spoke to Elijah to go and tell King Ahab because of their sinful practices he was leading this nation into that it would not reign again until they turned from their evil ways. Church, hear this preacher. Today, there is a spiritual drought in America that has been caused by our sinful practices of idolatry. And God has held back the spiritual reign until we are desperate enough to turn back to God. I want you to notice God allowed the famine and the drought to last long enough to bring Israel right to the brink of desperation and disaster. Are you hearing me, church? This is prophetic in nature. How long is this going to last? It's going to last until America is at the brink of desperation and disaster. And I'd say we're getting closer and closer every day to desperation. Amen. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Things got worse every day. They got so desperate that King Ahab was looking any way, for any way he could save his cherished animals, the horses and the mules. And God's goal was not to kill off Israel but to bring the people back to him by reminding them who their true God was. And God is not allowing this to happen to destroy us. He's allowing it to break us and turn us back to him. It's God's desire to show himself strong on our behalf. And we as a nation have been guilty of forgetting who is our true God. But God has never forgotten who we are to him. We are his children. And the enemy is using this opportunity while we have forgotten to try to overthrow the kingdom of God. All of this chaos and violence is exposing how far we've wandered from, the, from God, how guilty we've been of spiritual idolatry. It's no mistake for many of our idols have been torn down and shut down and exposed during this time. And God is using this drought to give us a space to repent and reset our lives and get focused upon what's really important and what's not. We better be getting ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some of us are getting it and some of us are blinded by the spirits of this age. They're not desperate enough yet, but hold on. Because I've read that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't know how deep we'll have to go or how much disaster we'll have to endure. It was prophesied that in the last day, perilous times will come, but don't lose sight of God's plan that in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. If you believe that, give God praise this morning.
Where are we at? What should we do? Where we're at? We're having a showdown between good and evil. We're living in a spiritual drought. God has held back the rain. And we're now reaping the consequences of our sins. This is the beginning of the end, according to Matthew 24 and 6. The beginnings of sorrows. And Jesus said, all these things must come to pass, and he named them. Rumors and rumors of war. Nations will rise against nation, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes. So what should we do? First, build an altar and repent. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, this instruction is found. In verse 13, God told Solomon, Solomon, if I shut up the heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people, when this happens, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now I want you to notice where Solomon's at. He's in the temple. He's in the church house. And he's praying at an altar and he's interceding for his nation. He heard these words from God. The Bible says, right after he had just finished praying for his nation and after he was done praying, a fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. And it says, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So you got to believe me when I say God has places he chooses to meet with his people. Listen to God's confirmation to his word in verse 15. God says, after you do these things, now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen this house, say this house, that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. I'm telling you, this place is significant and it's a chosen place and this is God's chosen house. Now, I know many will say, well, I can pray anywhere, and you can, thanks to what Christ did at Calvary. But I want you to know there is a difference when God chooses a place versus when you choose a place. This place at this hour has been ordained by God. Right now, we are in a showdown. There is no rain from heaven. Pestilence is here. We got a worldwide pandemic. We have got to fall at an altar and pray and seek God and repent for our nation. <clears throat> Elijah, in the midst of the famine, in the midst of all the chaos and the immorality, stood before the 450 bell prophets and 400 bell worshipers for a decisive confrontation and said, you call out your gods and I'll call out to my God. And the God who answers with fire will serve. The bell worshipers went first. They stomped and they clapped and they danced before their idol gods. They pleaded and they begged for their gods to answer them. 
and no answer ever came. And then Elijah said, sit down, boys. Okay, men, first, let's build an altar. It's the first thing he did in this showdown. Let's offer a sacrifice. And then the Bible says, Elijah prayed and called down fire from heaven. And just like God did for Solomon in the temple, God answered with fire and consumed the sacrifice of worship. The fire came down. Why did God answer? When a man of God builds an altar and prays against his enemies, God will answer with fire. Every bell worshiper was destroyed at that hour. You can't fight a spiritual fight physically and win. Church, it's time to show up for the showdown. I want to tell you something. Every Wednesday night, we are fighting at this altar. We are doing spiritual warfare. And we've been praying on Wednesdays for a long time. And I want to tell you that last Wednesday night, Susan and Kathy and April and Rhonda and Marilyn went to battle through prayer for our community and our nation. I heard a war cry. I'm telling you, they were praying the fire down. And I'm convinced God is going to send fire down to destroy our enemies if we'll humble ourselves and pray. That day, Israel turned back to God after that altar experience. Then what happened? There's more? Oh, yes. After defeating the idol worshipers, then God opened the windows of heaven. Elijah knew the rain had been withheld because of the people's path away from God. But he also knew now that they had returned to God, God promised the rain would return. And church, that's still his goal today. He's using what we're going through today for the same purpose. Elijah goes and he sits and he prays. Now here's a great example of how the prophetic is tied to the spiritual realm. Unless you are in a relationship with Christ, you will not know what the Spirit of the Lord is up to. If you're only facing this season in your life by what you see in the natural, then all this violence and this looting, this pandemic, and this chaos on our streets, and this economic collapse, then you're only going to see and see without hope and be fearful and be stifled. But to those who are watching and praying, God is visiting his people with love, joy, peace, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, the fruits of the Spirit. And he's given them the peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, everything looked bad in Elijah's day, but God showed him in the spiritual realm things that many could not see. He told Ahab that he had heard a sound of an abundance of rain. And he told his servant to go look to see if he could see anything was coming because he had done showed him it was on the way. See, Elijah was so confident of what he'd heard in the spirit that he sent the servant seven times to look. And the servant would come back repeatedly and say, I don't see nothing coming. Then all of a sudden, the servant, much to his surprise, saw the manifestation of what God had done showed Elijah. I'm telling you, church, 
It's time to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches because God is speaking to men and women of God who are seeing. And what I'm seeing is in the midst of all this trouble, in the beginnings of all this sorrow that will come, in the midst of it all, God is going to pour out His Spirit. And I'm telling you, if God's people will build an altar and repent and pray for our nation, there is a healing rain coming. After they turn back to God, God sent a rain to heal their land. It's his promise. I'll say it again. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. There's the answer to it all. I'm telling you, no matter what comes our ways in the days to come, God will protect his children. And before that great and awful day, God will call his church home. We got to repent and pray, turn back to God, and then get ready because I'm here to tell you it's going to rain. And I say, let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Come on, church. Let it rain. Oh, God, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. It may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by you. And God is able to sustain us. He's sustaining this body during the spiritual famine. And when God's people build an altar and we pray and we call down fire from heaven, our enemies will be defeated, and I want to tell you, and then comes the healing rain. You see, our God, oh, see God with, when God's people build an altar and pray, and they call down fire from heaven, the healing rain comes. But I want to tell you something. Our idol worship has brought us to a spiritual famine. And now as a result, our land is being destroyed. And our foundations are crumbling. We can't serve two masters. We must choose. 2 Kings 17 and 33, he said, They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. When a man of God hears from God, you better start to listen. Too often we haven't been paying attention and taking it to heart. God speaks to those who take the time to listen. It's the man who communes with the Most High that learns the secrets of the Lord. The man of God said, I hear an abundance of rain. The servant said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's fist. Elijah tells Ahab, you better get ready to get off this mountain. In other words, this battle is over. Help is on the way. And you need to move along while you still can. Because it's fixing to rain, and not just a rain, but it's fixing to be an outpouring. That God's going to heal this land that you tried to destroy. It don't look like much right now. It's only about the size of a man's fist. But that alone is not what convinces me that it's going to rain. It's what I hear. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. 
That's what I too am hearing in the spiritual realm. God's about to deliver a rain that's going to heal this land. Church, the spiritual drought is about to be over. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Mm. I'm not led by simply by what I see on earth. I'm led by what I hear from heaven. And I hear an abundance of rain. I hear the latter rain coming. I see chaos. I see rioting. I see looting. I see sickness. And I see disease with my eyes. But I hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Hang on. When the hearts of the people turn back to me, I will heal their land. And I say, let it rain, let it rain. Oh, God, let righteousness rain upon our hearts. Oh, God, let, let peace rain upon our hearts. Oh, God, let rain heal our land. We wait for you, oh, God. We wait for you. So will the body of Christ be destroyed during the spiritual famine? Oh, no. No, 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 no. During those three and a half years of no rain, God had Obadiah hide 100 prophets. They never went a day without food or water, church, in a three and a half year drought. Hey, Abraham's shoes never wore out in the desert. Fear not. God is going to sustain the body of Christ through the spiritual famine. He's declared in his word that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. That's what I take to heart. That's what gives me faith to believe, church, we're going to be all right. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I hear God saying to the body of Christ, Fear not, for I am with you. I'm for you, and I'm not against you. So when I hear the voice of God, no one can change my mind about what I believe. You see, I believe that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I believe the greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Because forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So when I hear God say it's going to rain, church, it's settled. I just have to stand still and watch God deliver. We better be spending our time getting our houses in order. I want you to notice the rain fell where the battle was. Idol worship was destroyed. And through this season, so many of our idols have been torn down. We've been stripped of them. And it's a time to reset, and it starts with repenting. The Bible says to repent so that the times of refreshing can come. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing more refreshing than a rain on a hot summer day. I can remember growing up when it would be a long, hot summer, 
when we had no air conditioning. It was just as hot inside the house as it was outside the house. And I can remember as a little boy, upon hearing the sound of thunder, I'd run to the screen door and I'd stand and stare and look out the screen door with my brothers and the sisters. And I would wait and I'd watch until the rain began to pour down. And as I stood as a little boy, to my eyes, it looked so refreshing. And I would holler, Mom, can we go out and play in the rain? And she said, yes. So we'd run out that door and it was so refreshing just to get soaked and run and dance and laugh in the rain. Church, that's what I see in the spiritual realm. There's coming a rain. I see it. It don't look like much right now, but I hear a sound from heaven. It's in my spirit. God's going to shake this nation to the very core. And when desperation comes, this nation's going to turn back to God. Shut up, old somebody. And when it does, fire is going to fall from heaven and it's going to set this nation back in order. Oh, shut up, And the rain's going to follow that heals our land. He's promised it in his word. And God is such a gracious and loving God Church, don't lose heart. This is a faith walk. And that day that the rain fell again, do you realize it rained on the just and the unjust? God has declared something special he has planned for the last days. This is the beginning of the end, church. I told you Jesus says so in Matthew 24 that these things must come to pass. But he never declared that it would destroy God's people. He declared he would rescue us, rapture us before that great and terrible day that will be the end. God declared his word in the last days, perilous times would come, but he also declared in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon flesh, all flesh. In January of this year, I prophesy that God's gonna turn this place into a birthing room. And I believe it's still to come. What always happens before the birthing process starts? The water breaks. The water is fixing to break any day now. Maybe even today. The heavens are fixing to open up and God is going to send a rain that's going to start the spiritual birthing process in the body of Christ. God's going to begin to do a new thing. He's going to give you a new song. Can you see it? He's going to give you a new love. A love that can love anybody. Regardless of race. Can you see it? He's going to give you a new love. So you can love your spouse like never before. Can you see it? If you can't, then I encourage you to keep on looking, keep on seeking, because I've done, heard, it's coming. 
And I'm telling you, God has moved that dark cloud, and now we will see the promises of the palace of praise are going to begin to come to pass. Pastor, stand up. Pastor Miller, Sister Jenny, stand up. Everything you've prayed for, everything you've cried for, everything you labored for, everything you've asked for, it's going to come your way. Can you see it? It may not look like much right now. And it's not just about what you see. It's about what you have heard from God. The days of Ahab's leadership and their idol worship brought a famine to their land, both physically and spiritually. Their spiritual famine led to their physical famine and a showdown between good and evil. A showdown comes when two opposing forces say enough is enough. Folks, God has had enough. And we're finding ourselves as a body back upon that mountain facing a showdown again. Are we going to stand like Elijah, stand for God when everybody else is cowering down and everybody else is compromising? What we do is important because this is a decisive confrontation. Remember that this is what a showdown is. God's revealing the corruption of our nation. This stuff's been planned behind closed doors for years. And God is exposing the enemy's plan and the church's weaknesses. Everything is out of the closet. The devil is manifesting his assault. He's making a move for more territory. And you and I are going to have to choose which side are we going to stand on. There's only one right side. And you better take heed to the outcome of Elijah's showdown. Folks, God can turn all of this all around. You know, in Elijah's day, Jezebel and Elijah had a showdown. Now today, once again, we face another showdown. The spirit of Jezebel is at it again. And guess what God said? In the last days, I'll send the spirit of Elijah again to defeat the spirit of this age. He defeated her before, and he'll defeat her again. See, in the first message I preached of this year, I quote, I said, I declared to you that God said 2020 was going to be a year of victory for this church. I still believe it in spite of what I see because I've heard it. And you can't have a great victory without a great battle. I told you God wants to turn this altar into a dance floor, a place of victory. And I said it was time for the church to go back to the altars, the place God has ordained to meet with you. This place here is more than just an aisle way. It's more than just a piece of carpet glued to the floor. How do I know that about this space? Because 2 Corinthians 3.7 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When God's presence is in this place, in this space, and when a man of God puts his ordained foot on this space, it becomes more than just a $25 a yard piece of carpet. It becomes ordained as a meeting place for man to meet with God. It becomes holy ground. It becomes a place that God has ordained to meet with you. 
And when the man of God gives you an invitation to come, you shouldn't receive the invitation as a suggestion, but as a proclamation declaring that God is here for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Musicians, would you come? Time to be the church, the real church, the church that cares for its nation, that's willing to intercede for our nation. We've got to begin. Judgment begins in the house of God, so repentance ought to begin in the house of God. We've got to repent for our nation. We've got to repent for our sins. And God will send fire down from heaven. Destroy our enemies. And then he'll send a healing rain. But we've got to begin. Now let's try this again. See if this works out any better than earlier. Lift your hands in the air. Give God a big old wave offering. Start with me, O oh Lord. Where's my drummer? Josh, now put your hands together. On a count of three, we're going to shout hallelujah. One, two, Three. Hallelujah. Come on, one more time. You know where I'm heading. On the count of three. There we go. One. Two. Three. Now, if you're ready to see the rain, to feel the rain, if you're ready for a time of refreshing, everybody, come to the altar.